Thank you, choir. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. Today we're going to wrap up our series, Your Questions, His Answers. Now, if you didn't get your question answered, and I know some of you didn't, uh, unless it kind of got answered as we talked through the series, then uh, you're welcome to let me know and say, you know, Pastor Mike, you really didn't get to this one. Uh, I'll be happy to see what we can do to get together and try to, to uh, shed some light on that um, because we just can't get, can't get to all of them. Uh, so, but I want to kind of end with um, a very interesting, I didn't know if I was going to deal with this question or not, and then I read a bunch of stuff this week, just some research that came out, and I felt like I had to deal with it. And so uh, let me just share you, with you what it is. We're going to work our way through it, and I just... We'll just kind of go from there. But the question is this. How can one effectively close the generation gap on a meaningful spiritual level with grandchildren who are claimed by worldly technology and carnal pleasures? I think the question can be summarized like this. How can I connect with my grandkids and help them have the same spiritual values and know the Christ that I know? That's a really interesting question, and it has a difficult answer, because by and large, there's a disconnect between the generations, and especially between two and sometimes three generations, simply because there's a cultural disconnect. Now, a lot of times, we who are older and more traditional, uh, we tend to think of culture as our enemy. And uh, while the culture we live in is interesting, culture in itself is not moral. It is amoral. In other words, culture is not the enemy. The culture is where we live. This is where we live. We live here. We live today. And so we just need to understand that culture is, is where we live. And as a rule, as a rule, everyone wants to reach their grandkids and relate to them especially when it comes to spiritual matters. I mean, we want to reach our kids and relate to them when it comes to spiritual matters. We want them to believe in our God. We want them to attend our church or one like it. And uh, we want them to embrace our faith. But the problem is that by and large, the younger generations, they don't relate to our style of music and worship. They don't speak our church language. And uh, they just... By and large, they don't go by the same religious activities and actions that we go by. And some call it Christianese, the way we speak. But, you know, there's a lot of things that we talk about that if someone were to, uh, a younger generation were to come in off the street and they didn't grow up in church, and by, by, by the way, that's becoming more and more the norm, a lot of the things that we say and a lot of things that we talk about and a lot of the things that we do, they wouldn't get. They just, they don't, they wouldn't get them. And so typically what happens is uh, when someone walks into our church, uh, and I say our church, but I'm talking about the modern church, the, 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 uh, the church that you and I grew up in. Uh, typically when someone walks in and, and they're not dressed the way uh, we maybe think they should or, or, um, or they don't look quite like they should be in church, we kind of look at them warily and, and wonder, don't they know this is church? Why are they wearing a hat? Why are they wearing shorts? Or why, you know, and, and, we, and we look at that and, and we think, don't they get it? 
Don't they understand? And what I'm here to tell you, church, is they don't get it. And they don't understand because their culture that they live in is different than the culture that we grew up in. And our, our church values and our church traditions and our church life was shaped uh, over the last 30, 40 years for some of us, for some of you even a few more. And the young folks in our generation, they, that's not where they live. And so there's this cultural disconnect. I mean, when they come, if they come to church, they listen to our music, they listen to our language and look around and, and they kind of wonder, well, well, where have they been? Well, what year are they stuck in? I, mean, I was thinking about it this week. Uh, I got a five-year-old and 11-year-old. Have you ever talked to, have you ever talked to your grandkids or even your children about, about what an eight-track tape is? Or have you tried explaining what a 45 record is? Because they don't get it. It's, it's not bad. It's just not where they live. Well, a lot of times what they do is they come to church and we're, I mean, we're used to choirs and robes and, and, and pianos and hymns. But a lot of the younger folks, that's not what they grew up on. So they don't really understand it. And so there's this cultural, there's this disconnect. And uh, as I thought about this this week and I was reading through my questions, I got an email from our uh, director of missions about some research. And uh, I think it's the Pew Research Institute. I'm not exactly what the name of the organization is. But they released some, some uh, data about a week and a half ago. And I think it was a big uh, piece in USA Today and some other places about it. But it's just the latest research. And what they've discovered is that now in America, 20% or one out of five people are, not, are unaffiliated to any church or religious organization Whatsoever, so fully one in five Americans, if they do, a, if the census comes and it says, "What is your religious affiliation?" One out of five check none. Now that's just none at all. And, and we're talking; they're not, uh, they're not Catholic, they're not Baptist, they're not Mormon. I mean, they're not anything. And only six percent of that twenty, or only which I guess is is thirty percent. Uh, are atheists, but a lot of them have just chosen to de-affiliate, it, de-affiliate with religion whatsoever. Now you say, well, that's just one out of five. But when you look at the thirty years and under crowd, one out of three who are thirty years and under check none. They say, I'm not affiliated with any religious organization whatsoever. Now here's where it gets really interesting. When you look at those who are sixty-five and over. Only one out of ten would say they have no religious affiliation. So, so let's do the math for a minute. I want you to think about this with me because it, this, is, this is important for us to understand as a church and in our culture. When we lose a hundred senior adults that pass on, 90 of them have a religious affiliation. In other words, they're connected to the Baptist church, the Methodist church, the Catholic church, something. They've got some religious affiliation. 90 out of a hundred. When we lose those hundred, the next hundred that come up from the younger generation, 30 of them have a religious affiliation. So, consequently, we lose 60 or 6 out of 10 or 60 out of 100 every time that happens. 
And so what I'm saying is the church that we know, the culture that we grew up in, the America that we love and we prayed for and we've lived in is changing. It's just changing. And we could say, well, that's bad. Some people say it's good. Good or bad, the reality is it's not the same as it was when we grew up. It's not the same as it was when we got married. For many of us, it's not the same as it was when we have kids. And so if we're going to have an impact on our culture, we need to understand what it is. And what it is, changing. And what's really disturbing to me is that a lot of times in the church, when we talk about issues like our traditions, whether it's our music or our choir or, or our, the language we use, the verbiage we use, you know, our a lot of times people get, that bothers them more than the fact that we're losing a generation. I mean, we're losing a generation. And so we need to understand, we need to come to grips with this idea. If we're going to reach our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids, we've got to get it together. I want to show you a short video clip. Ed Stetzer of Lifeway Research is one of the foremost thinkers, at least in Southern Baptist life, on how to come to grips with uh, the issue and culture and all these things. So check out this clip, and then we'll come back, and I want to share with you some thoughts that I think will help us if we'll implement them. Ed, if you had to describe one word to, to, to describe the overall condition of the church in America, what word would that be? Transition. Transition. I think we're in a season of transition where nominalism is dying away, um, where this vague notion of kind of, a, uh, kind of a common secular Christian experience that you kind of go to church to be a good person, I think people are not buying that anymore. And I think the transition's coming as robust Communities of faith that are preaching, proclaiming the gospel, reaching others far from Christ, showing and sharing the love of Christ are replacing those nominalistic gatherings. I think in 20 years we'll see this more clearly. I think most of the country will look like the Pacific Northwest where you've got some pretty robust churches doing some pretty great things in a society where pretty much everyone else recognizes we're not them. And the people who are Christians are trying to say, well, come follow Christ. And I think there'll be a clearer distinction between church and world than we see right now most of the country. Right. So in a church trying to respond to that, what's something that we should do and what's something that we should not do? Well, I think what we should do is have a more robust process of making clear disciples, um, to be unapologetic that that being a Christian means you're saved by the work of Christ on the cross who died for our sin and in our place. Mm -hmm. Um, But having become made new in Christ, we Mm -hmm. grow in that faith and to help people grow in that faith. But then part of that has to be to teach them to live as agents of God's mission. So the missional emphasis is key here. Because if they don't, and they're kind of expecting this kind of this broad spiritual view to reach people for them, it doesn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. So the distinction causes us to have to be more intentional. Right. So that's what I would do. What I wouldn't do is to retreat. Right. I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of course, part of it is because I, when Jesus said that the forces of Hades would not restrain the advance of God's church, I actually believe that part. But part, the other part is I think this is, is an opportune time. It's a God mm-hmm. time. It's a sovereign mm-hmm. moment of, mm-hmm. of God's plan. For us to reach and to be agents. If you had to, if you had to describe one word to. All right, we got what I wanted to get to, and that is the the church is in transition. Whether we like it or not, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, the reality is, the church is in transition, and we've got to decide. And and I say we. I'm not just talking about First Baptist Church Wimberley. I'm talking about evangelicals and 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 uh, just those who are born again Christians. We've got to decide 
How are we going to be intentional? If the culture is no longer coming to us, if it's not culturally uh, popular to come to church. And by the way, we uh, 10 years ago, everybody said, well, you know, it, people are just waiting for somebody to invite them to church and then they'll come. I read someone this week and they said, you know, the reality is that's just not true anymore. In fact, one of the statistics I read this week, uh, one guy said that he would, he would guess, that he would estimate that only one out of six people on a given Sunday go to worship. One out of six, 17%. And so we're, so we're losing ground. And so the question is, what do we need to do to be intentional? How are we going to change that? And the reason I want you to see stature is because he said, we just can't just say, well, we'll just have church and they'll just come. Because they don't. Jesus spoke in this. I want to read a parable and then it's going to take us a minute to get to where I want to go. But I want you to uh, just join me as we read this parable of Jesus. Why don't we stand together? Luke 14. Um, and let's just read down through about verse 23. Luke 14, the parable of the great banquet. And you're going to go, this doesn't connect. I promise it does. It says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, he said, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited. It says, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant. He says, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, says, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Father, I pray that you'd open your word this morning. I pray that we'd pull out that truth that you want us to deal with today and to wrestle with today as a church so we can go forward and we can become who you want us to be here in Wimberley, and that the church, uh, just the modern church here in America, we would, we would become what and who you want us to be in a culture that is increasingly postmodern and post-Christian. So God, come speak into our life, and, and we'll honor you, Father, and we'll give you the glory for it all. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, you can be seated. And let me just kind of set this up uh, for you for just a minute. Because the, here's the thing. The master wanted his banquet to be full. Just like God wants his, his house, his places of worship to be full every week. And that's normal. But what happened was uh, when the day for the dinner came, nobody showed up. And, and it's important for us. Let me just give you a little background. Typically what would happen when they were going to have a big feast uh, like the one in question... They would send out invitations and then way in advance and people would say, kind of like we do for weddings, you know, you, the RSVP, where they'd send out invitations and the people would say, yes, I'm going to come. Yes, I'm going to come. And then the day of the feast, in order to be able to prepare the right amount of food and do all this and, 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 and whatnot, the, the master of the banquet, right before it was ready to start, he would send people out and say, go tell everyone that it's ready. It's time for them to come. They didn't just say show up at 7 o'clock. I guess they didn't have watches. I don't have my watch today, so that's scary. But anyway, uh, for those of you listening. But, but, but so, so what would happen is they would just send them out and say, okay, it's ready, come. And so the master sends out to these people, 
And he says it's ready to come. And they say, well, wait a minute, I've decided I'm not going to come today. And that kind of went on three times. Well, I've decided I'm not going to come. I've decided I'm not going to come. Well, I got married, so I really can't come. And so they make all these excuses, and we don't have time to go into those. And so the master was disappointed and angry. And so he says, okay, just go out go out the doors of my house and my palace. Just invite whoever's out there. It doesn't matter. What, I mean, they don't have to be dressed right. They don't have to look right. Just invite them. Hey, tell them to come in. And the servant says, well, I've done that. Now they've all, there's still some room. The master says, okay, go out into the highways and the hedges. Go out under the bridge and go to the homeless. Go way out there and get whoever will come and come in. And so when we think about, when we read that parable, we think, well, this parable's about, it's about lost people. It's about how Jesus was saying, you Pharisees don't want to accept me. It's okay. You can reject me. That's all right. I'll take my gospel to whoever will listen. And we... When we think of this parable and we read this parable, we say, man, this parable is about reaching the lost, and it is. That's the primary focus. But there's another focus that I think is really, really important to us today. I want you to look with me at verse 21. Notice verse 21. The servant or the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly. Go out quickly into the streets. And then he, verse 22 says he's done that. Then look at verse 23. Then the master told his servant, he said, go out to the roads in the country lanes. And I, if you have a pen, I want you to underline two things. I want you to underline the phrase in verse 21. Underline the phrase that says, go out quickly. And then in verse 23, underline the phrase that says, go out to the roads. And here's what I want us to understand. God, listen, what God wants to say to us today is the culture's just changed. And if you're going to reach people, and if you're going to have an influence and an impact in the community, then we've got to change our mentality. We've got to change the way, if you will, uh, that we do business. We've got to change the way that we look at things. And, and so what he's saying is, as a disciple, you need to go out and become an inviter. And you need to, be, you need to go out and begin to, to, to work with people in the culture in which they live. Now, so what I want to do, I want us to look at three thoughts this morning that really should pave the way for where our church and the church as whole is headed in the future. If we're going to have an impact in the kingdom, these three things have got to happen. If you're going to have an impact as a disciple of Jesus Christ, these three things need to happen in your life. Let me just tell you what they are. First of all, we need to go and invade the culture. We need to go and invade the culture. Uh, anybody remember the, um, I can't even remember the, the name of it. Anybody remember the movie Field of Dreams? Anybody? What was the punchline? If you build it, they will come. That's been the mantra of the church for a couple hundred years. If you just build it, they'll come. And if you build a winning sport, I mean, if you've got a winning football team and you're really, really good, people will come. And they'll pay money when they come. If, if you take a, a golf tournament like the Masters, man, this, the, this Masters golf, they've got this big thing. Man, you can't get a ticket. Because if you build it, they'll come. And a lot of people think in the church, if you just, if we just build the building and open the doors, they're going to come. And while that used to be true, it is no longer fashionable to be a practicing Christian. In fact, in some cultures, in some areas of our culture, if you are a practicing Christian, it's almost like you're an oddity, whereas a couple generations ago, that was the norm. I mean, it, it, it's just shifted. 
And so if we're going to have an influence, we've got to be willing to go. Now, it's not anything new. This is really not new. This is what Jesus said. In fact, listen to this list of verses. In Matthew 10, verse 6 and 7, Jesus said, As you go, preach, the kingdom of heaven is near. In Matthew 22, 9, Jesus said, Go where the roads exit the city. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Go and make disciples. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world. In Luke 14, 23, we just read, Go into the highways and hedges. In Luke 15, 4, Jesus said, Go after the lost. In Acts 26 and 29, the Spirit said to Philip, Get up and go down to the uh, road to Gaza. And then if you look over in Acts 22, 21, uh, the Father says uh, to, to Paul, says, Go, I will send you away to the Gentiles. And if you look at the pattern... Over and over and over. Jesus said it. The Holy Spirit said it. And God said it. He commands the disciples, His followers. God said, listen, you, you need to get up and go. But we've been brought up in a church that says, just build it and they'll come. And here's the thing. That was fine for generations. But when you look at the numbers, it's not working anymore. Just remember, 65 and over, 9 out of 10 have an affiliation with the church or a religious organization. 30 and under, 7 out of 10 don't. The reality is what we're doing isn't getting it done. And so Jesus said, you need to go and invade the culture. As a matter of fact, remember when he was looking out over Jerusalem. I think it's in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Jesus is looking out over the community. And he, say, and he says, he says, the fields are white unto harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest. That he will send out laborers into his harvest field. Church. I'm not getting on to you. I'm not getting on to me. I'm just saying. If we're going to do what Jesus commanded us to do, we've got to get up from here. And we've got to go out there, out there, into our neighborhoods, into our offices, and into our circles of influence. And we've got to invade our culture. We've got to do what Jesus said to do. Because if we don't do that, we're not going to influence our culture. We're not going to reach... The people we love and care about the most, they're going to die. And they're going to go to hell and spend eternity without Christ. And so Jesus said, first of all, he says, you need to go and invade the culture. But there's, it's not enough to just go uh, and invade the culture. But, but we, when we go, we need to invest in people. Go back to Luke 23, or excuse me, Luke 14. Go back to verse 23. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes. And listen to this statement. In the, in the NIV, it says, and make them come in. Now, if you read the English Standard and some other translations, it would say compel them to come in. It's an interesting word. I did a little research on it. Vine's uh, New Testament dictionary says the word constrain or compel or make, it, it means to, to constrain whether by threat. I don't recommend that. Uh, whether by entreaty, that's okay, or by force. Or by persuasion. And so what Jesus was saying to the servant. He says you need to go out there where they live. And you need to persuade them. You need to compel them. You need to constrain them to come in to my house. 
and come into my presence and, and get to know me. And so what I'm saying is we've got to be willing to go and invest in people. We've got to go out there and make an investment. I was reading another book by Ed Stetcher. It's called Comeback Churches. And, um, and I'd, I'd gotten up to a point and I was flipping through it last night and, and I flipped ahead a couple pages and I saw this caption, this statement, and it just kind of, I thought, I don't think that's true. And it says, you know, he, he says, the problem is Christians don't like lost people. And I thought, well, that's not true. And then he began to talk about how, you know, if we go out and reach lost people, they don't especially like our music, and they really, maybe they don't dress quite like we do, and maybe they don't have some of the same habits and behaviors that we have. And he goes down this long list, and he, and he says, you know, at the end of the day, evangelism and making disciples is a messy thing. Because Jesus said, he said, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't come to, to save the righteous, I came to save the lost. He said, those that be whole need not a physician, but those who are sick. And so we've got to change our mentality. We've we got to understand, listen, Jesus died for the least and the last and the lost. He wants us not to sit here and hope they come in and then wonder why they don't get it right when they get here. He said, no, you need to go out there where they live. And you need to go invest in their lives. And you need to go make a difference in their life. And so if we would be the disciple makers that Jesus called us to be, if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we've got to go and invade our culture. We've got to go invest in people. And then thirdly, the third thought is we've got to invite them in to the kingdom. Notice there verse 23, so that in my house, it says, go to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that in my house will be full. We, we need to invite people into the kingdom of God. Now, uh, it's great to invite them to church. Uh, you should invite them to church. That's probably a good thing. If you invite them to church, here's my commitment. Uh, every Sunday, uh, almost without exception, I won't say everyone without exception, almost without exception, every Sunday, I'm going to make an appeal for them uh, from the gospel that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you'll repent of your sins and give your life to Christ, he'll save you and he'll forgive you and he'll give you a brand new life. I mean, almost without exception, every week I'm going to say that. But here's what I am going to say. A lot of the people that we want to reach the most and that we need to reach the most, they ain't coming to church when you invite them because they're not really thinking about church. I told you maybe last week, maybe it was last week or maybe two weeks ago, I had a conversation with the guy and we talked about the church thing. So what? So what we need to do is we need to go model for people the love of the Lord Jesus. They need to be able to see in us, in me and you, what it means to be redeemed. And we need to invite them into the kingdom of God. And if God gets in their heart and if God gets in their life, then, then we'll get them into church. But it's really, it's really not so much about the church as it is about the kingdom. Uh, listen, I'd much rather my friends, I'd much rather my neighbors, I'd much rather the people in my circle of influence and in your circle of influence, I'd much rather go to heaven than just go to church. Uh, can I get a witness? So we need to focus on inviting people into the kingdom of God. 
Now, the problem is most of us, we don't feel equipped to do that. I mean, if we finally, you know, if you go out and you talk to your neighbor, you say, God, I need to talk to this guy, I need to witness to him. You've been thinking about it. And finally, you, you muster up enough courage and the Holy Spirit fills you and you get all worked up. You go, will you come to church? And that's all we got. We got to be able to talk to them about Jesus. We got to be able to love them where they are. We got to be able, to, we got to be willing to invest in their life. And we can't just say, well, we're going we're gonna to come to church, we're going to do our thing, and we just hope they'll come. They're not coming, so we've got to go. And so I'm going to be challenging you in the, in the weeks and months ahead. This whole thing about disciple-making and making disciples, and some of you are going, yeah, that's what you've been talking about. You know what? You're right. I'm going to keep talking about it. We need to go and invest in people. We need to go and invade the culture. But, and then we need to go and invite people into the kingdom of God. About 20 years ago, and I'm using that term loosely. That's probably right. It's probably about 20 years ago. I'm assistant. If y'all can imagine this. I'm the assistant basketball coach for the JV at East Junior High School. Now, me. Uh, can you imagine? A white guy that can't jump, coaching basketball. Uh, Monty, you can't imagine me coaching, I know. But so I'm coaching, and we're doing this disciple-making stuff. We have a bunch of kids on the team. And one of my students, and by the way, he really wasn't a basketball player, but we were desperate. I mean, he was a, he was a, point, he was a power forward and a point guard's, guard's body. He was a little guy. But anyway, he loved Jesus. And so we're doing some disciple-making stuff, and one of his buddies, one of his buddies on the basketball team, he said, well, you know, we could go and share with him. And so, so we go to Jody's house. And it's interesting because when you drive to Jody's house, you, you go along the road and you turn right, and he's like the second or third house. But when you turn right, here's a big Baptist church right here. And you go two doors, two, maybe three doors down from the big Baptist church. And here's Jody Elkins. And we sit in his living room. It's Saturday, Saturday morning. I think Saturday afternoon because there was a basketball game on. And so, so we're sitting there and Bubba, you know, I said, Bubba, you're going to get to share. I'm just, you're sharing. I'm praying. And so here's my eighth or ninth grade teenager taking out a little gospel book and he opens it up and he begins to talk to his buddy about Jesus. And they're sitting in Jody's living room that afternoon. He gave his heart to Christ. Now he lived right around the corner from the church. But he never gave his heart to Jesus until somebody that knew him enough and had invested in him enough was willing to go and not invite him to church, but invite him into the kingdom of God. And so church, here's what I'm saying. We're losing ground. And the only way we're going to change, the only way we're going to make any difference is to do what Jesus said. Jesus said, go invade the culture. Jesus said, go invest in people. Jesus said, go and invite them into the kingdom of God. It was good enough for Jesus. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus invaded our culture. He took, on, he took on human flesh. The Bible says he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus invested in people, didn't he? I mean, for three years, that's all he did. Jesus invited people in to the kingdom of God. That's what Christ did. That's what our master did. Look at this verse and we're done. Uh, Luke 640. I hope it's coming up. It says, A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Who's our teacher? Jesus. What did Jesus do? 
He invaded the culture. He invested in people. He invited them into the kingdom of God. Now, church, here's what I want to ask you. Who's in your life? Who's in your circle? Who's in our neighborhood? Who lives in our house? Who works at, beside our desk? Who plays, whose kids play ball with us? Whatever. The, who's in our life? that we need to invest in and then invite into the kingdom of God. Who is it? See, don't, don't just say, I'll come to church. No, I'm not against coming to church. I want them to come. But we need to get past church and get to the kingdom. You need to, you need to ask them. Invite them into the kingdom of God. And so my prayer for us this week, for me and for you, is that this week, God will put an opportunity in our face, front and center, where we can invest in people and begin to build a relationship and hopefully invite them in to the kingdom of God. It's probably not going to happen if you come to a Bible study here. It's probably going to happen when we go out there with the eyes of a Savior looking for the harvest. Will you do that? Let's bow together. Father God, I pray this morning that you'd inspire our hearts not to retreat, not to look at the statistics and say, oh, we're losing ground. What do we do? Woe is me. No, no. God, may we, may we look at this and say we can be intentional. We can change from the way it's always been. And we can begin to do things the way God wants us to. We can begin to go like Jesus said. In fact, we can begin to do what Jesus did. Jesus invaded his culture. Jesus invested in people. And Jesus invited them in the kingdom of God. And Father, my prayer, my prayer for every single one of us is that this week we would go and we would invade and invest. But ultimately, God, we would invite people into the kingdom. We would make disciples because it is enough. It's enough for a student to be like his teacher. And so for every believer here, I pray that we'd be convicted and challenged to go and invite people into the kingdom of God. Make an investment that'll last for eternity. Now, Father, I know in the auditorium there's some who've not given their life to Jesus and, and I hadn't really been speaking to them and yet I have because the kingdom is all about knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's all about being forgiven. It's all about knowing Christ. And if they've never given their life to Jesus, my hope is that today they would realize that he died on a cross. He invaded our culture, died on a cross to pay for our sins. Not mine alone, but Father, the Bible says for the sins of the whole world. And I pray today, Father, they'd be willing to give their life and their heart to Jesus. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for your love for us. God, as we ponder the issue of a changing, a transitioning church and a changing culture, help us, Father, to be faithful to your call and to do what you ask us to do. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.